All right. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to The Point Church. Man, this is a morning that you might not even need your coffee on the way in. It's a little energizing. Man, it's wonderful to see everyone here this morning. My name is TC. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at The Point Church, and you have picked a wonderful week to join with us as we kick off our new series, Mean People Scare Me. <laughs> we... <laughs> We all deal with mean people in our lives, right? And they can be a little bit scary from time to time. But I'm also aware that, that mean people aren't the only thing that can be scary. Change can be scary too. And so I want to speak to that. You know, this is my this is almost my sixth week to be here. And we've been spending some time. Thank you very much. The front of the room. I saw you back of the room. But, I mean, I'm new, I've been sharing a lot of vision, a lot of ideas, and talking specifically about my desire, about Jesus' desire for us to be a church for those who are not here yet. We talk about that every week, that there are people who have urgent, eternal stakes, and we will always defer to their comfort and their needs because we want to fill heaven with as many people as possible. But I also want to be clear that just because we are a church for those who are not here yet... It does not mean that we're not a church for those who are not there yet, okay? If you're still breathing, if you're still walking around, if you are still here on earth, then God is not done with you. He has work for you. He wants to grow and mature and develop you. And so we want to be a church for both, a church that focuses on those who aren't here yet, but that we are also all about those who aren't there yet. And so I want to give you a little sneak peek so that way we can reassure you some of the things that we want to do to help grow your... <coughs> I almost didn't make it, bro. I almost didn't make it. I don't know what happened there. I was like in my soul. All right. So anyways, we want to give you a sneak peek of some of the stuff that's coming up that we want to equip you with, your family with, that we want to help you grow as you do life with us here at The Point. And so coming up next month, we're going to be kicking off a series that we are calling Pressed. And we're going to be taking all the weeks of November to look at some of the major stressors that we deal with in our lives and what the Bible has to say about that. After that, we kick off our Christmas series, which is going to be titled, I'm not telling you right now. We're going to reveal that one later on. The only thing I'm going to tell you about Christmas is that it's going to be fun and we have it's going to be very nostalgic for every generation. What does that mean? You'll find out next month. And then after that, coming up in January, we're going to be doing a series on doubt. We're going to be talking about deconstruction and doubt as that seems to become a bigger and bigger issue that the church is dealing with today. We want to equip you with what deconstruction is, how to deal with people, how to interact with people that are going through that season and love on them well. And if you're going through that season, tools that you can utilize in order to try and reconstruct your faith with God. And so we want to make sure we're doing all that. We also in January have a really cool new strategy we're going to be implementing for grow groups. Our hope is to greatly increase the number of grow groups we have so that way we can double the number of people that are in our grow groups. We really want to do some work there on providing you the relationships and community that you will thrive in as you pursue God. So we've got a lot of things coming up, guys. We are in one team together as we try and reach our community and grow in God, and I'm so glad that you are here with me to do that. So that's your sneak peek. This week we're talking about me people and how scary they are okay you guys with me on that okay my family's in town that's why you keep hearing real responsiveness over here so 
So anyway, so please, guys, drown them out is what I'm trying to say. But anyways, we're in this series, Mean People Scare Me, because it's inevitable that as you walk through life, you will come face to face with a meanie, right? Somebody that is always critiquing, somebody that is always frustrating, someone who is always judging you. I remember in ninth grade, I had a, I'm not going to call them a meanie, but they were an individual that we did not see eye to eye, and it was my teacher, my English teacher. Her name was Mrs. Little. Me and Mrs. Little didn't get along. She did not like how much I talked or made jokes in class. I was in the hall all the time, always getting kicked out for talking or saying something that I thought was funny that she didn't think was funny. That's hard to imagine, right, that I was getting kicked out in the hall for that stuff. But I, it wasn't just during class while I was in my seat that I would do this. I would always try and find ways to infuse all my assignments with my personality and my humor, all right? Like, I, I remember we had one assignment one time that... Um, that we had to write a poem, a love sonnet, and we had to do it in iambic pentameter. I don't even remember what that means, but we had to do all that stuff to get this love sonnet put together. And then our teacher was going to submit them all to a publisher, and only the best would be selected out of all these poems. And so um, she was like, "Good luck, TC. Like, like I'll bring it on, right?" And so I wrote, "I, I am, I am, I am, I am back to. I can't say it. Iambic pentametered." That stuff like crazy, man. I mean, it was it was perfect. All the syllables were in the place they were supposed to be and stuff. And I poured my soul into this poem. I was sharing my love for my paramour, my heart's desire for my one true love. And the very last line of that poem, I admitted that my true love was cheese. <laughs> she didn't give me a great grade on it, but guess who is a published poet? Because apparently the publisher, that's right, that's right take that, right? Well, we had another assignment that we had to pick our, our desired career. We had to research this career and present it to the class with like slides and all that stuff. And so uh, we had to pick the career that we hoped to step into when we were grown up. I'm still working on the grown up thing. But um, so everybody selected theirs. And I naturally, I selected my career that I wanted as a tattoo artist. I, I did not really desire, I don't have any tattoos on my body, but I thought it'd be, everybody in my school knew I was like the most goody-goody to ever goody-goody in my life and everything. So I thought it'd be really funny for me to do that. She didn't think it was funny. I got denied that. So I knew if I wanted to mess with her in my class that I had to be sneakier. And so I chose a very specific form of law enforcement and that got approved. And so I did all my work. I always did all the work and, and did it right and everything and got everything put together, the presentation, the slides, all that stuff. And then it was my turn. I got up in front of the class, hit my first slide and my name spun in and it said Mooney, Texas Ranger. And the Walker, Texas Ranger music started behind me from the old Chuck Norris show. And all my slides were all like Western and, and deserty themed. And I, the class loved it. They were asking questions during my presentation. They were engaged. Only one that I saw like that in my class, all right? And so I, I, I crushed it. I'll be honest. I thought it was fantastic, right? And I sit down. I got my assignment back at the end, and she gave me 80 out of 100 with a note, 20 points off for being funny. It's like, what? I'd have had 100 if she didn't hate joy. You know what I'm saying? Like, we deal with haters in our life, people that are always picking and griping and complaining and dragging us down and judging us and frustrating us. It is unavoidable. You will face a meanie in your life. So we need to know how to deal with these people because they come in all different shapes and sizes. They try all different strategies to try and frustrate us. So how are we supposed to respond to the constant critics, to the hordes of haters? 
Well, thankfully, the Bible gives us all kinds of stories. The Bible is filled with relational wisdom that if we apply in our lives, we will navigate not only the, the frustrating relationships, but the power, powerful relationships in our lives well. And so today, I want to take a look at a story that didn't just survive their, their opposition, but they approached their challenges in life in such a way that they were positioned for greater success and greater health because of how they confronted the opposition in their life. This person's name is David. Everybody say David. David. That's good. That's good. Yes. And the first time we see David, he grows up later, he becomes King David. But the first time we see him, he's this little, little teenage kid in the wilderness with a bunch of stinky sheep. And he's the young, he's the runt of his family. He's got all these brothers and he's the, he was probably getting shoved in like, like washing machines and like having to wear like eight time hand-me-down clothes that was just a big hole at that point in time. And this was the life he was living in a time where being the oldest is what got you the opportunity. Being the oldest is what got you the privilege. Being the oldest is what got celebrated. And he was way down on the list. So he got stuck with the job no one else wanted to do. He was out in the field with the stinky sheep. But God saw something in David. God sends his prophet. The prophet shows up at his house and in front of all his brothers, the prophet says, God's chosen you to be king. That had to be a good moment for David. Like, what's up, bro? He didn't pick you, dummy. Like, that's pro- I, fe- I imagine that's how, that's how I would respond at least, right? And so David, everything changes in him, not in his circumstance, though. He's still the youngest brother. He still was getting picked on. He still had to deal with the sheep, but now he had a mission and he had a purpose. And David oriented his entire life around going and doing what God had called him to do, what God had purposed him for, to become king. God has a mission for you too. Every single one of us, God has a mission and it's all the same mission. God has left us here on this earth to help other people find and follow him. That is your mission, but the way that God uses you will be unique to your gifts, to your wiring, to your interest, to your passion. God wants to use each and every one of us to reach people that only we are best wired to reach. And that's a big, that's a grand mission, but there's a lot of people that self-select out. You know, I don't really know what I'd say to somebody if we started talking about faith. I, you know, they might think I'm weird. You know, I cussed last week, and so God probably can't use me anymore. Like, we, we try and self-select out of all this because of the discomfort of really doing the things that God says. And what we choose, instead of going on the mission that God gave us, we stay with the stinky, annoying sheep. See, majestic missions, missions from God require us to live that legacy today to seek out the opportunities, to jump on the opportunities that God gives us to achieve the mission that he has called us to. You can see David do this throughout the Bible. All these opportunities keep falling in his lap, and he keeps jumping at the opportunity to grow closer to this vision that God has given him. You can see the current king was this cranky guy named King Saul. Everybody say King Saul. Say it like you're from Tennessee, like me, Saul. There's no L. Saul. Okay, you got there. Fantastic. King Saul. Um, And and King Saul, he was a cranky dude, kind of a paranoid, weird guy, and he had a hard time sleeping, so they put an ad on Craigslist to find a musician that could come and put him to sleep with their incredible musical abilities. And David applied, got the job, put the king to sleep with his sick guitar solos every single night. And that wasn't the king job. I mean, David could have been like, nah, nah, that's not, I I, I I want the head job first. But no, instead, David got his foot in the door. 
He got a job in the palace, placing himself around uh, all these leaders, learning diplomacy as he saw it in action. He took the chance to get a step closer to the vision that God gave him. And then we all probably know later on the, the, the big enemies of Israel, the Philistines come and attack and they draw up battle lines against each other. And, and the big massive meanie himself, Goliath, came out and was taunting the people of Israel. He's this massive giant who had defeated every enemy that had opposed him before. And I'm sure he probably had scars and, and it was scary looking. Mean people are scary, right? And he was taunting Israel, saying, hey, sing it, send out your best, best. Not your Beth, although they might, maybe Beth was the best, I don't know. <laughs> Send out your best and we'll fight one-on-one. Whoever wins, it's victor claims all. Like if I win, you become my slaves. If, if you win, which won't happen, then we'll become your slaves. And so he's taunting and everybody in Israel's terrified. Nobody wants to fight them. They think they'll lose, but David hears it. And I love it. This is a great detail. We'll teach on this story one day. But David, he hears about, he runs out there. He's like, come on. Like he runs out, zero military experience, drops the giant with one strike, and the ladies loved it. You can read that detail in the Bible. They start writing songs and singing songs about cute warrior David. Like, oh, man, they had his poster up in their bedrooms. They love that guy. And so they're singing their songs, and King Saul hears the songs, and he gets jealous. He's like, hold on, I'm the king here. I'm the one in charge. Why aren't you singing songs about me? And his rage and his jealousy continues to fester and grow until King Saul becomes the number one opposition to God's plan for David to become the next king. So frequently in your life, the person that should understand the most, that should support you the most, is the very person that's standing in your way. The person that you thought would have your back, that person that support, that's supposed to support you, the person that's supposed to be there with you till the end, ends up being the person that betrays and becomes the biggest obstacle toward you becoming the person God wants you to be. Saul was the first king that God ever selected. He should have understood what David was about to go through, and instead, he tried to stop him. And it got so intense, so dangerous that David literally had to flee the country because Saul was trying to destroy him, to kill him. And so David leaves the country but continues to hone his craft. He goes and becomes a warrior fighting in foreign armies to learn warfare. And as he fights, more and more adventurers and rebels and soldiers are drawn to him and his mission. Missions are magnetic. It attracts all kinds of people. It attracts, it, it attracts friends and it attracts foes. If you are following after God, you are going to draw support and you are going to draw resistance. God-sized mission always attracts opposition. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 4.12, it says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The Bible's literally saying, hey, when things get tough, don't be surprised. It's going to happen. It's coming for you. If you are not in a fight right now, it's because you're not in the ring or because you just finished the next one, the last one and the next one's coming. I mean, if you follow after God, you better saddle up. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be a fight. God-sized mission attracts opposition. And thankfully, God doesn't just say, get ready, it's coming. God helps us get ready. 
If we spend time in God's word and community with God's people, God will grow us and stretch us and give us the grit and metal we need in order to respond. And thankfully, I think this story that we're going to look at today, we're getting to the Bible, I promise, I promise. We're, I think this story helps give us some practical things that we can apply on the biggest meanies of our life. And so we're going to take a look at one of, one of David's interactions with King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 26. Make sure, I, I need to make sure that y'all are awake with me. It comes at you every week. Say that text with me loudly. 1 Samuel chapter 26. Good job. Okay, just back of the room, 1 Samuel chapter Okay, the middle. I, I, you guys in the back, I'm going to keep working on you. We'll get there, all right? First Samuel chapter 26, we read of the story. At this point, David's, David is, is a fugitive running from King Saul because Saul is trying to exterminate him. He's been chasing him. David's on the run, and that puts us here in First Samuel chapter 26. It says, the Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalaf, which faces Jeshimon? At least I think that's how that's pronounced. I don't know. I learned if you get confident when you say it, people trust you. <laughs> so the Ziphites, they go to Saul and they say, isn't David hiding out right over here? The Ziphites, I mean, you would recognize this kind of person in your life, right? The people that like to be up in the drama. They're like, that, oh, oh, wait, oh, what's going on? Oh, who's doing what? Who broke up with who? Like, they want to know. They want to be in on it. They want to talk about it. They, like, as soon as you start talking about having a rough day at work, they're like, why? What was bad at work? And then after they promised you that they will take your secrets to the grave, you start to see them tell other people about them, and it pops up on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. They buy a billboard downtown and put all your dirty laundry on it, right? It's these people that they just love being in the middle of the negative and the issues. And so how do you handle people that spread everything you tell them? You don't tell them nothing. Stop talking to them. If you got to preface your conversation with, uh, please don't say this. Promise me you won't tell any. Promise me you'll keep this between us. Don't tell them anything because they will tell somebody else. They like to play the marriage card, right? Well, I had to tell my husband. Well, my wife needed to know we share everything with each other and just grows and grows and grows. So don't talk to the Ziphites. Don't tell somebody if you think they're going to spread it. And these guys, they ran to Saul. They told him. And so Saul responds, 1 Samuel 26, 2. So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with 3,000 select Israelite troops to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakalah facing Jeshimon. But David stayed in the wilderness. David stayed in the wilderness. What did David do? He Yes, good job, second service. I love it. He stayed in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul had followed there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. He stayed in the wilderness. This is the first thing that I think we can do to navigate the meanies in our lives is that you need to construct healthy boundaries. Construct healthy boundaries. Saul came and David kept his distance. And you can see that's what he's been doing by this point in 1 Samuel 26. He already has avoided several near-death experiences with Saul. He had, Saul had tried to kill him multiple times. And so he put a lot more distance between him and Saul to try and stay alive, to keep his mental health solid, to keep his literal health solid, because a spear through him wouldn't have helped with that. So David kept his distance. If you interact with someone regularly, that every time you interact with them, you are, are frustrated, you are discouraged, you are stressed out, then maybe it's time to put some distance between you and them. Because as long as you keep that toxic relationship in your life, it will continue to cause damage every time you run into it. 
My mama is here today, and last service was like, are you going to tell that story when your mama's here? Yes, she's heard it before. She did it. So anyways, my mama's an incredible. I'm very close with my whole family. I love my parents very much. They raised me to love Jesus. They're incredible. My mama's one of the most amazing people that have ever lived. She's incredibly intelligent. She's been a VP at a bunch of colleges, CFO, CPA, FB. No, I'm sorry. I'm running out. There's a bunch of three-letter things. Um, she was top of her class. She actually has a doctorate in Christian leadership. She was one of my professors when I got my graduate degree. Also, the lowest grade I got any of my classes. Zero perk with your mom being the professor. I'll tell you right there. But out of all my mom's wonderful attributes, she has one thing that she really struggles with, and that is, is parking a car. Uh, it's, it's a joke in our family of my mama's driving abilities, uh, and, and it, but it comes, it, it comes honest, all right? I mean, like when my older sister was little, my mama would like sideswipe this pole all the time to the point that little, little Nicole would say, well, we hit the pole again, mommy. And that, that theme continued until I was little. We lived in our house in Tennessee, and we had this basketball pole right off the driveway. And this thing, it was cemented in the ground. This was a solid, nice basket. It wasn't one where, you know, you fill up the base with water. This thing, it was there to stay for all eternity. And so my mama decided to regularly test the structural integrity of this basketball pole by accidentally backing into it with, with some extreme regularity. To the point that the basketball pole started to lean more and more after a little bit of time. And, and, and that was challenging for me. It's what I like to blame my poor basketball ability on because, you know, as leaning, you could only play basketball on half of the driveway because you would have had to have magically hooked the ball into the net from the other side. And so me and my papa got out there and we like, you know, we, we pulled it back up and tied it down and re-cemented it, got it all solid and everything. And then my mom backed out, boom, there comes the lean right back. And so we'd go back out and we'd pull it back down, tie it down, re-cement it, try and add some stuff to reinforcement, reinforce it. And then my mom would poof, hit it and it would just lean right back over. And so, I mean, we would have like discussions, like how can we make this thing more resilient? So that way and we'd keep trying. It was just a regular thing that my mama would just, I, I, you would imagine it was was intentional. It wasn't. It's just like magnetic or something. I don't know. But it kept happening. So finally, me and dad came up with this brilliant idea to keep the basketball pole from getting hit and leaning over. We got rid of the basketball pole. She never hit it again. We knew as long as we left that thing there, it's going to get backed into. It's going to get hit. As long as you leave those toxic relationships in your life, you will keep damaging yourself time and time again. When you back into, when you interact with those people, it will continue to hurt. It will continue to discourage. It will continue to frustrate. So it's time to get the basketball pole out the driveway. Get that out of the way so that way you don't have to try and avoid and plan and consider how you're going to avoid that kind of damage. Just get rid of those relationships. And it's so easy for us to make the excuse, well, we've been friends with them our whole lives. You know, they weren't always like this. It's my family member that, you know, just know how they are. But as long as you continue to allow that, it will continue to frustrate and flow into every other aspect of your life. You need to create the proper boundaries. And sometimes, I will admit, sometimes you can't choose to put the space between you and them. It's your teacher, it's your boss, it's your coworkers. But you can choose, despite not being able to choose the distance, you can choose the access. You can choose the access they have to your emotions, to your life, to your heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart 
for everything you do flows, flows from it. Man, prep yourself. Consider whenever you are engaging with this person. Talk yourself through what could happen so the impact is minimized whenever you do engage with them. But as long as you keep them in your life, you're going to keep backing into the basketball pole. You need to construct some healthy boundaries. Number two, everybody say two. Second key to navigating the meanings in your life is that you need to choose healthy influences. Choose healthy influences. First Samuel chapter 26. It's not on that page. Chapter 26. Chapter 26. There it is. Oh, back of the room. Good job. I knew y'all back there. Chapter 26, verse 6. It says, Then David asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and all the soldiers were lying around him, and Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. I'll just do it. It only takes one poke. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Man, I don't really know what David was thinking as he approached the situation. Like there was a whole army surrounding Saul and he's just like, who wants to go with me? And this dude Abishai was down. Like Abishai sounds like he was ready for a fight. Like I want to poke somebody with my spear. I haven't done that all day. Just let me go stab somebody real quick. And so he goes down there. I don't know what David was thinking, what he was going to walk into because all those people were there to kill him, but he still, he was going to go down and check it out. But he was smart enough not to go by himself. And whenever we approach these haters in our life, when we approach the friction and opposition, it's wise to have some people that you can consult with, that can counsel you, that can invest in you, that can advise you. Because when we don't have that, then we step into these situations raw and sensitive. And we tend to say and do things that make the situation much worse than it was in the first place. Whenever I'm about to uh, approach a really sensitive conversation or a challenging person, I got two people in my life that I call to, to just, hey, like, walk this through with me. This is what I'm thinking of saying. What do you think? What would you say if you were in this? Just two people. Like if you call 10 people whenever there's drama in your life, all you're doing is complaining and spreading your drama around. Just I got two people that I call that pray with me, that tell me when my ideas are stupid because I need to hear that. I want to know how to best approach this situation. Whenever I call and get that counsel, it helps prepare me to best share and walk through these situations in a way that can help create restoration, in a way that helps create the best situation moving forward. But you can only have that wise counsel if you have the right people in your life. You need to seek out the proper relationships to have the right intake of people. And I believe that all relationships in life really boil down into one of three categories. Your, your sister, your brother, your dog, your cat, your, your parents, your kids, your co-workers, your teacher, your boss, your preacher. All of them boil down into the three categories that I believe can be represented by beverages. You need to have the proper intake to have healthy relationships. And so the first one that I think is representing the relationships in your life is water. All right. These are people that kind of have a neutral impact on your life. They're just passing through, right? You don't even really notice. They're acquaintances. They're people, that coworker that you always say hi to that you've been working with for 15 years. You can't remember their name. 
but you say hi every day. Or that person that in your freshman year of high school, you had a class together, it's three years later, and you awkwardly like see them every, every day, and you're like, but you never hang out or do anything together anymore. It's your pizza delivery guy. These people that, that they, their life decisions don't directly affect you. They're just kind of neutral in your life. That is the water people, right? The next type of relationship that I hope you have in your life is the coffee people, right? These are the people that, man, they just energize you, amp you up. You feel better when they're in your life. You hang out with them and you can't wait to hang out with them again. It was just a great time. You're texting afterwards. You're like, hey, thank you so much for hanging out with me. That was the best. They invest in you. They encourage you. They celebrate you and they challenge you. You know, they're in your corner. And so they're the people that will give you a tough truth and you'll actually listen because you know that they care and they love you and they love God. These are the people that you need in your life even more than your morning coffee. You need these coffee people, but there's a third kind of people. And those are the prune juice people. (laughs) These are the people that you spend time with them and you just feel drained. You feel emptied out a little more hollow on the inside. In case you're missing context clues, prune juice makes you go potty, right? And we all have some of these people and some of us have much more intake of this than we should. And it's causing problems. It has you running all over the place. Because these people are always judging and critiquing and picking at you. They're always frustrated that you didn't invite them to the thing. They're always calling to share all their emotional issues with you. And it's always your fault if you weren't available for them. And they take and they take and they take and they take. And you are so tired and you are so worn out. And you are so frustrated every time you spend time with them. We all have a mixture of these things in our life. And if you take a second and you were honest with yourself to look at the people you spend more time with, are you starting to recognize why your life might be a little more weary than it should be? Are you starting to recognize why you got a little bit more stress because you are allowing the prune juice people to keep filling you up? I'll tell you this. You don't have to go looking for these people. They find you because they're always looking for somebody else to dump their stuff on. These are the people you have to be intentional about. Because guess what? They already have a lot of relationships because people want to be around them. You have to be intentional to have these kinds of people and avoid these kinds of people. You want a coffee? I see you drink coffee right there. You want this, bro? Here we go. It's coming at you. Bam. Anybody need to be hydrated? Somebody thirsty? All right. Don't let it hit you in the face. Oh, okay. Anybody needing to loosen things up? No, 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 not over there. (laughs) You know how much trouble you get me in with your parents? All right, anyways, this is total distraction. So I think you need to walk through your life aware, observant, seeing if you can identify people at church, at your job, at your school, that you admire how they are living life, that you admire how they're following God, how they treat their family, how they're succeeding at work, and then say, hey, man, I'm so impressed at how you do this. Can we go grab coffee and I can ask you questions? You want to go catch a football game and just talk, like create the environment and engage those people and invite them into your life. And then on the other side, you need to say bye to some people 
Is it that person that you go on the play dates with while the kids play? If all they do is complain the entire time, go find your kids some new friends. Go spend time with somebody else. If you go out with your boys and you always come back with a little bit of regret and your spouse is mad at you about it, stop going and hanging out with them. Find people that your spouse can't wait until you go spend time with because you come back better. You need to say no. You need to be intentional to avoid some relationships and intentional to fill your life up with the people that fuel you. So real quick, third thing, third thing, navigating the meanings in your life first, construct healthy boundaries. Secondly, choose healthy influences. Give me a three. three. Boom. Create healthy legacy. Create healthy legacy. First Samuel 26, verse 12. So David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw it or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They're all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. There we go. Healthy boundaries. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner. Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? He's a bad guy, so that's why I read it that way. David said, you're a man, aren't you? And who's like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your Lord the king? Someone came to destroy the Lord the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where's the king's spear and water jug near his head? So to summarize, David, he goes in there. He sees the king's lying there. His boy wants to stab him. He says, no, that's bad. And so they took the king's weapons and his water jug with them and they left and then David goes up on the hill he calls out and then he talks a little smack all right he's human that happens right he's like Abner I thought you were good at your job I could have killed your king last night you're the worst right he's like up there yelling this and then he shows the proof that he had the opportunity I mean, David had every reason to want Saul dead not only was Saul mistreating him but if Saul wasn't there he got his job And he had the opportunity to end it and didn't take it. Why? Was it because he was protecting the Lord's anointed even when it was difficult? That's probably part of it. But I think it's more likely that David understood that that how he responded to Saul and his leadership in this moment would set the standard for how people would respond to David and his leadership. That if David offed Saul with his chance because Saul was frustrating him and wasn't leading the way he wanted, then he established the protocol for how people should treat him when they didn't like how he led. And because David treated Saul a way Saul didn't deserve and still protected him and honored him the way that God wanted, David established stability in his kingdom that was very unlike the kingdoms around him. Like if you contrast David and his family, the dynasty that David's family had in Judah versus even the northern kingdom of Israel, you'll see a huge difference. And David was king for 40 years in his reign. His son Solomon, 40 years. His son Rehoboam, 17 years. His son Abijah, three years. We don't count him. His son Asa, 41 years. His son Jehoshaphat, 25 years. Compare that with the northern kingdom of Israel ruled from Samaria. King Zechariah, six months. He's assassinated the guy that killed him one month. He's assassinated the guy that killed him 10 years, much better. Then his, his son replaced him two years before he's killed. The kingdom was in turmoil because they didn't recognize, they didn't pay attention to the decisions they made, the way they respond to conflict. It creates a culture. The way that you choose to respond to the meanies in your life, it creates a culture in your work. It creates a culture in your life. It creates a culture in your family and your friends and your school of how people around you will begin to respond when they experience conflict. Do they see you drop to your knees and pray or do they see you respond out of frustration? 
because both create an impact. And so I'll conclude with this thought that I think the story of David, if it teaches us anything, that if you are breathing air, then you need to get ready for a fight because something else is coming against you. God-sized mission attracts opposition. And if you really build your life around God's mission for you and respond to your opposition the way that God commands using God's strength, then all those haters, all that opposition, all that resistance, all that difficulty will only sweeten the victory the day you step into eternity rather than sucking the life out of you now. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for everyone in here because I know every single one of us are dealing with our own meanies, our own challenges, our own people that drain us and hurt us and frustrate us. And God, we need to be aware that the way we choose to respond to them is creating a legacy and a culture around us. That we want people to see that we are different because we choose to be thoughtful. We choose to be considerate. We choose to be patient rather than than frustrated and angry and rash, God. God, I pray you give us the relationships that can fuel us. Those caffeinated coffee people that can help us have the energy we need to fight the battles that you are entrusting us with. And that the battles of today train us for the battles of tomorrow. And when we look back in our life years later, we can see how once upon a time, we never would have been able to find victory over the things that we now overcome every day. Because you love us too much to leave us where we are, you will grow us. You will strengthen us. And you will use these meanies to make something meaningful out of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.